mask. filed down your calluses. <laughs> I know. I, it's gross. It's not gross. It just shows that you work it. You like to yeah, work. Yeah, but you don't, you don't like pare down a callus while podcasting. That's, Probably that's awkward. not. So, yeah. all right, let's get going. All right. Thanks so much. Hey, for... everybody. <laughs> <laughs> you got me. Wow. That was a, that was a moment. I'm sorry. Oh, so now I'm going to do it again. What do you... Mm? Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> wow, you are razzing me hard. We got to do a podcast. No. <laughs> We're not doing the podcast? We're doing the podcast. Okay. Wow. Man, it's a power play. Yeah. You're taking yeah. over. Thanks so much. Welcome to the show. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody's got to start. Okay. The poor you do listeners. it. You do it. You do it. You're, sure? you're better at it. Uh, I don't know about that, but I'm ready to do it. Go for it. All right. Thanks so much for joining us for another episode of Talking to Women About Video Games. That was not that good. You're thinking no. I could have done better than that. I could have done better than that. All right. Go for it. No. I, now, now you put me on the spot when you do that. I fuck up. Hey, hey guys, this is a podcast. It's about women and, and video games. You're going to love it. <laughs> that was, that Wait, was, was that, like, was that just like an ad spot? It was Not like a classic intro. 90s video game advertisement. Was, Chicks, man, video games, everything. fruit by the foot. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for joining us for another episode of Talking to Women About Video Games. I'm joined, of course, with Tanya. It is I. It is you, and we had such an amazing episode last time, two weeks ago now, with Yazan and Julie helped kick us off, and the response to it has just been so heartwarming. So many people have told me that they didn't understand the plight of the Palestinian people in any sort of emotional depth before that. And definitely from the perspective of Palestinians. Yes. I think that is the, that's the huge thing is that you see things on the news, sure. but to have a conversation with somebody with a Palestinian perspective who is living in it day to day and telling their story is really impactful. It was really, really impactful Absolutely. for me. And I think for a lot of people. Sure. And you know what's funny? Some of my in-laws are from Israel. Oh. And I told them about the episode and they were so touched. And they actually oh, wow. have left Israel because they are so against what's happening to the Palestinians. So, wow. so it was really validating for them actually to, to hear that. We also heard from the creator of the indie bundle for Palestinian aid that we promoted on the last episode of the show. They thanked us for promoting it and we continue to promote but, but it. Let's, let's backtrack a few minutes. Yeah. Because when we were talking about this, you were like, I'm on their block list on Twitter. I, I was on their block list, yeah. Will Wheaton's fault. I'm not, exact, I'm not exactly sure. I, what did I ever do to Will? I'm pretty, well, yeah. Will doesn't know no, me from a hole in but, the wall, but, I don't think. Yeah, but yeah. the uh, creator mm -hmm. of the bundle yep. unblocked you. Yep. She did, yeah. I was just, just Does she that. want to come on the show? I'll talk to her. She has said she'd like to be on the show. She's from an organization called Toad House Games, Fun. which makes games, visual novels that look incredible, like heartwarming, but just so real that they can't help but be a little bit sad, but at the same time trying to focus on positivity. And it's also a space for people who may have mental health issues. Toad House also helps with that somehow. It's pretty, Interesting. pretty incredible. So if we do get her on the show, there'll be... 
a lot to talk about. And it turns out I had a game in that bundle. What? <laughs> I didn't even know it. Yeah, I found out after I bought it that, oh, I did the graphics or the monster graphics, at least, for this game oh called God. Wizard-ish. What don't you do? Oh, that's kind. It's not. Seriously. It's, it's not incredible graphics. Uh, a friend of mine named Ed. Actually, it's the husband of Caitlin, who was on our show a couple months ago. He had said, you want to just make some sprite graphics for me? And I'm like, I've got an hour to spare. And I just quickly tried to make a little monster that goes, oh my gosh. Like, gives you a little kissy face. Oh, Yeah, fun. he's got sharp teeth, but he likes to kiss. And that's the only monster of the game. Oh, my <laughs> so God. So you just see it with see different it colors over and over. Yeah, yeah but it's actually great. a pretty fun game. Wizardish. It's free. So check that out if you want to see a little monster I made. But you can't see the monster in real life. It's virtual. It's not real. Oh. Isn't that weird? Yeah. I'm saying I made a monster, but when I'm thinking it through, well, no, I just made some light appear on a monitor. Yeah. You're not really there. You're not I, really playing it. I'm, I'm going to tell you a quick story. It's an NFT story. You're kidding. No, no. It, it brings me to this. <laughs> we can cut this. No, we're not. Okay. So I read about somebody who sold an NFT for a piece of artwork that was the absence of anything. They spent something like, <laughs> and at like fifteen thousand dollars for something of an up. It was like a. It was like this is an empty space, but they named it, and it was like some Italian designer or some shit. Yep. I was like, they just bought an NFT for piece of art that doesn't exist. I heard about the piece of art that didn't exist. I didn't know they also made an NFT of it. I, yeah, <laughs> it's really fun. It's I so mean, bad. Because you funny. can't sell nothing, I guess. You uh, well, so that's you what they sell do. the NFT of nothing. I thought they sold the nothing too. I could have. I might be. I might be telling this. We way could wrong. both be telling the truth, just different sides of it. So, I had heard that somebody said, "I'm selling this invisible sculpture." Right. So don't touch this space, or you'll break the sculpture. But there's nothing there. Right. It's it is a lack of. I think there's an NFT. Part and then they component. made an NFT. I bet they made an NFT, NFT. of it too. Yeah. <laughs> so so it speaks Talk to my how life. We... <laughs> what, what is the, what is this world we're living in? Yeah, yeah. Things are changing. Speaking of this crazy world. Yes. Oh, E3. E3 happened. Yeah. yeah. Just wrapped up, and this was the first year that it was purely virtual. They skipped it last year. But I barely noticed because a lot of the big companies still held online press conventions mm -hmm. and online presentations, these directs, they're often called. And this year, it was definitely bigger than last year, but it was still not a physical event because of the pandemic. And I don't know if it matters to people to have the physical event at all. Like, I've been going to E3 for years, and there was years when it shrunk and instead of having a big expo hall, it was just in little offices. So you had to like go down a hallway to different offices and play. Oh, so it wasn't even like a big no, convention. No, no. It wasn't it was just like go to Tom's office. And, <laughs> yes. and he's got a, a folding table of That's exactly right. There was some Mortal Kombat game oh, I was that playing feels at depressing. that point. And having some fun in the But it, that almost sounds like a, a science fair. It was. Like an eighth grade science fair. <laughs> and we were all saying, like, I guess E3's over because they're not doing the Expo Hall. And then they brought the Expo Hall back. And then oh. it was huge. And then they opened it up to the public and you could pay to go because Fine. PAX was getting big. So they wanted to be like PAX. Then they closed it up and have kept it closed. And I don't know if they're ever going to open again. You were telling me that. Oh. Checking your phone. 
God. You were having a little mini E3 in Google. I couldn't. It was like total bombardment of video game news. I couldn't just scroll the way I wanted to scroll. <laughs> All this chick wants to do is just in the morning have some coffee. This chick find out you. Yeah, that's me. You are this chick. <laughs> find out about my mortgage news, like what mortgages <laughs> rates are looking like. And Very Not that up. I'm buying. No, but just uh, you like the it's news. Science shit, love space shit. Yeah, fossils. Fossils keep, keep showing up. Supernovas. And then next thing I know, I'm like Tetris, what was it? Effect? Tetris Effect. Effect sh- showed up. A bug patch for cyberpunk and that might be coming back to the playstation store playstation yeah and then there was another thing super monkey ball something yeah Yeah. 20 years later big news it was big i don't know yeah it's a a remake but it's still big and then uh grand theft auto something about coming off of oh yeah they're gonna shut down grand theft auto online for the older consoles yeah Mm -hmm. yeah this is all this and i'm like i don't even know what this means this was bigger news i was watching the e3 conferences as best i could and then you were coming at me with all these headlines and stuff i didn't even know about yeah there's yeah just from your google alerts i know pretty incredible and then i was like oh today i was like oh jonathan check it out see all this shit that's getting in like thrown at me and they were gone Yeah, and it disappeared. It, it, on it you. disappeared, and I was yeah. like, it made a liar out of me. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far, but it was indicative to me, as someone who's supposed to have their finger on the pulse of these things, that I don't know if we even need press conferences anymore. I think Google alerts of news would give you all the E3 information you need at this point. Oh, so what you're arguing is, we don't even need E3. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. And I said on the last episode that the physical E3 event is usually just a way to try to manipulate bloggers and journalists and whoever into talking about your game. So they give you free food. They try to like smile but and laugh at your jokes. And... I would argue that if somebody just asked you to write about their game, you'd do it. There's a lot of games. There's okay. like 100 games coming out a day wow. to try to get the attention of somebody it's never been like this before. The, the world is, as we were saying, bizarre. But there's still a place for physical events, and there's still a place for physical media, as we're going to talk to Laura Kate Dale, an old pro at E3 and all things video games. She has a new book out, Gender Euphoria, and we're proud to welcome her to the show. Let's kick it over to Laura. Book writing, podcasting, oh, oh that's Laura Kate Dale. So I'm here with Laura Kate Dale. So excited. Laura, you have a book coming out. I have a book coming out. It's one of multiple I've done, but this is the new one. It's called Gender Euphoria. It's about non-cis people just sharing happy, positive, gender-affirming real-life stories because being trans and online is tiring and I needed some positivity. And I thought, well, I don't know where to find it, so I'm going to make a book of it, and hopefully that'll help. <laughs> Amazing! And this is your third book? Second book? This, what book? This is my third book now, yeah. My first book was called Uncomfortable Labels, and was about being uh, both autistic and trans, and talking about the fact that the overlap of those two is surprisingly common, and no one really talks about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, my second book was called Things I Learned from Mario's Butt, which is an illustrated coffee table book of video game character butt reviews. Uh, and then, then, then there's this one now, which is an anthology. So it's not just my words in this one. It's a bunch of other trans people and non-binary people and genderqueer people sharing their good, happy, nice stories. 
Incredible. And it feels to me, because I've known you for years, we worked together at Destructoid for a little while, then you moved on, you were at Kotaku for a little bit, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah. Working with James Stephanie for a long time on Podquisition and other projects. So I've gotten to get a smattering of who you are through all of these personal and professional engagements that we don't talk all the time, maybe a few times a year. So mm. it feels like you've gotten to express a lot of who you are in book form. I, I know you love video game butts. So that book yeah. has happened. It's been really nice going and trying to do books through either smaller publishers or through crowdfunded publishers, because I speak to a lot of people who were authors who go the the sort of more traditional route of find an agent, get them to sell your stuff onto some of the bigger publishers. And usually agents are very strictly, you do one kind of book and one kind of book only, otherwise I will not have you as a client. And mm-hmm. it's been really nice to have the opportunity to hop back and forth between very different kinds of projects, depending on how I'm feeling six months to a year later and what I feel like working on. Sure. And would you say that they're all more or less autobiographical in one form or another? Is that the, I mean, the right feel? Both of the, the the trans-related ones, books one and three, are definitely very, very autobiographical. They are stories about my life and or other people's lives. Things I learned from Mario's butt is, I would say, less autobiographical and more an expression of a profound silliness I needed an outlet for like I needed I needed somewhere in my life to you know both of the trans related books I've written have been really important things that I'm very glad I put out into the world Mm. but sometimes it feels really heavy to pour a lot of yourself out onto the page and sometimes you just want to write silly nonsense and not have to you know think deeply about yourself when writing yeah and From what I'm gathering, Gender Euphoria, which I'm excited to read, sort of combines that lightness and that joy with the realness of the trans experience. As you said, it's a way to ally with people on the printed page who have had different yet similar experiences and put it in, Mm. in book form, which is so... So exciting. I wanted to sell people on your book, even though I haven't read it, because I'm just very biased towards you and trying to make sure that people who love video games know that this book that I have not read yet, but I think if you love video games, you should read it. Everyone who loves video games. I think you should. If you like video games, you should read it. There is at least one story in here where I talk explicitly about video games. I talk... um, I talk about using video games when I was early in transition as a way to sort of explore personal identity before I was ready to come out. And when I was first coming out, there is, you know, some some talk of the joy of the first time that I was like, oh, no one's going to stop me in a single player game that I'm playing at home and no one else is watching. No one's going to stop me playing as a female character. I can do that and the police won't come and get me. There's at least one video gamey story in there. That is so great. And it segues to a topic that is on my mind pretty regularly, oftentimes while I'm recording this show. We've had a lot of trans folks on the show, non-binary folks on the show. And I've been following video game and video game development for a long time. I've just noticed that a lot of the best developers at putting you in the place of another person I'm thinking about Christine Love. I'm thinking about even uh, Sophie Holden, who Mm. who does it in a very specific way that isn't always narrative based, but the kind of projective empathy 
that you need in order mm -hmm. to invite someone into another body, even through a virtual engagement, mm -hmm. I find that trans folks are often a lot better at it. So I don't know if this is like explicitly the case, but like, I know what you mean. And I think there are definitely some aspects of the trans experience that I think probably help with that. First of all, and this is just a bit of a side note, I mentioned earlier, a lot of trans people are autistic. There's something like an eight to 10 times uh, increase on the general population. Hmm. Um, a lot of trans people end up in tech work, in development, in coding. It's unclear how much of that is uh, because those fields allow you to largely work from a computer away from other people, not having to deal with face-to-face -face interactions, how much of that is to do with overlap with the autism community. But in terms of like story writing and putting into other people's perspectives, whether you want to or not as a trans person, you sort of have to get used to explaining to other people your lived experience in a way that makes sense to them, even if they've never experienced it themselves. Mm -hmm. Most Trans people, let's say in their 20s through 40s right now, are living in the birth of the social media age where trans people are increasingly becoming a very hot button topic and trans people, whether they like it or not, are forced to become advocates for their own existence and their own lived experience. You kind of have to get good at explaining what you're going through and what that feels like to other people to do that. Um, because of the way the medical establishment is set up for trans people who want to access medication or surgery, you have to get good at explaining your lived experience, usually to people who aren't trans, in a way that they will understand and emotionally connect with. It is... Mm. We are all too often forced to become experts in explaining the intangible of how we live our lives. And I doubt that hurts the ability to tell stories about stepping into someone else's shoes. Interesting. And I've noticed a lot of trans folks are really interested in games and making them as well. I don't yeah. know if, and, what the correlation with that is. Judging purely off anecdotal conversations I've had with other people, a lot of it comes down to being really socially anxious people growing up because we weren't super comfortable with ourselves and didn't really know how to work out with other people. Video games are, an, are a solo or distanced sociable way to explore who you are and to be other people for a while. Mm. There is mm -hmm. something very appealing about that when you aren't sure who you are or how you want to interact with the rest of the world. And through them, you are now doing like live talks. You're on podcasts once or twice a week. You've oh, many, books. many times a week. Too many times a week. Too <laughs> you many are, podcasts. <laughs> you are one of the most dynamic, socially skilled people I know. And you've really thrown yourself into it from this, what people would consider less of a social pastime playing playing video games. You've taken it and, and rode it all the way to the top of the social mountain. <laughs> I... I mean, for me, I think a lot of my ending up in this job has very much been about learning to take something that was the only thing I really had an interest in as a socially isolated kid and making that my career. Um, growing up on the autism spectrum, video games were one of those things that I found solace in. I didn't have to deal with other people. 
and I could obsessively learn everything there was to learn. Mm. And years down the line, that's really nicely led to a wide variety of background knowledge and a desire to connect with people over one of the few things that I know very well. And it's it's been somewhat of a social safety net topic. Video games are a thing that I know. And if I if I start doing a career where I talk about them, I'll be fine. <laughs> More than fine. Excellent. <laughs> Three books into your career, constantly working on something and thankfully, rightfully, a large fan base that is ever growing. Jeez, I don't even know what to say beyond that. Just so happy you could be on the show. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about? Anything else you wanted to say before we wrap up? Oh. Uh, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna tease. I've got some other books coming because I never stop doing books. I've no. got too many books going. Yeah, wow. I know what. So book four is already written. It's currently being illustrated. Um, look out early next year for an illustrated children's book, fiction children's book. It'll be the first time I've published fiction. I'm nervous about it, but crossing my fingers. And the fifth book, which is probably a bit of a ways away, but I've started talking with the publisher about it, is going to be a comedic long-form piece of fiction for people who are invested in the bullshit of the video game industry. Wow. Unbelievable. Yeah. So exciting all <laughs> around. More, Even more of you coming out in a tangible form that people can I, hold. I can't, I can't stop making tangible projects. <laughs> Great. I'm picturing the Limes guy picture and a lot of people think I look like the Limes guy. So it's sort of a reversal of fortune. You just holding all these tangible projects and flopping out of your hands with excitement. That is so exciting. I'm excited that no one has stopped me making things yet. <laughs> That's how I feel every time I, I, I start another big project. I'm like, are you, are, you are you sure? Okay, you're still good with me making things. Okay, that's great. <laughs> that's, yeah. And I think it's more than just stopping you. I think people are going to be encouraging you with money, attention, and otherwise, it's only bigger and better things from here. Oh. <laughs> I mean it. I'm very excited for you. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me on. It's been lovely to chat to you. It's always nice to get to talk to you. Likewise. Laura Kate Dale, a success, not a failure. She writes books about butts and genitalia. Yeah. Ugh, you don't actually write books about genitalia. But if you did, they would be great. It's just, that's the th first thing I could think of that rhymed, so that's what I sang. Love you, Laura. Such a pleasure to talk with Laura. I've worked with Laura off and on for so many years. You just heard a theme song I sang about Laura. That's not the first theme song. I once oh, really? sang a song for her. She had a show on Destructoid on our YouTube channel where she only talked about butts, and then she later made a book about it, which is speaks to how dogged and determined she is to do it her way. And the song went like, butts, 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 butts. And she used it forever. So, oh my gosh, so sweet. That's, that's kind of sweet. I'm officially proud yeah. to be buddies with Laura Kate Dale. Laura, being a woman in this industry, that it was easy. A lot of potential objectification. Yes, that was, you, you pronounced that very well. Did I? Yes. Yeah. So I have been objectified before. Recently, someone on Twitter said they wanted to buy an autographed picture of me shirtless. <laughs> said, we'll pay you for it. So people are coming for my, my shirtless. Yeah, but you put it out I'm there. Sick of people treating them like a piece of meat. Me, but I'm not what doing What am that. I? <laughs> to you. I have, a, I have a heart and a mind. 
<laughs> no, I don't put myself out there. So, we have another guest coming up on the show, Becky Jewell, who uses her art to express herself and uses her body to express herself artfully. A lot of people feel objectified when they put themselves out there, show off their physical self. She subjectifies herself and she will just pose in a bikini. Yeah. And it makes me want to exercise. Yeah. Like she inspires me. She does this one gif where she shifts her hips from one side to the other. And I'm like, I want to have hips like that. <laughs> I want to work out. It's really neat. Yeah, I I really resonate with that because getting into being more physically active and also trying to do things that are very challenging physically mm-hmm. and then getting it is just stacking on top of itself. How mm. like you inspire yourself and then... You get excited and it just kind of keeps going. So I know exactly what Becky's feeling. That's awesome. It's so fun. So we invited her onto the show because since we didn't have a physical event for me to do that, I thought, what if we invited Becky onto the show and I would pitch to her a few games to see if she would want to represent them at E3 and if so, how she would do it. So it's a whole new segment with our new friend, Becky Jewell. Becky Jewel, if you worked at E3, would you talk to me about video games just like the name of this show? So I'm here with Becky Jewel. So excited to talk with you, Becky. I can't remember how I discovered you, but I've been following you on Twitter for some time. You're a fantastic visual artist. You are like a running model. Is that how you define yourself? Yeah, I'd say that's good. Yeah, and you draw a comic book called Tilted Sun? Yes. So many things that you do. One of the things that's always fascinating about you is that you, on one hand, create art with canvas. You'll go out and set up an easel and just paint in the great outdoors. And it seems like such a wonderful thing to decide to do. So many people I know think about doing that kind of stuff, but you actually decide to do it. And then you also use your physical body is sort of a canvas. You'll just pose and light it and you just make it look really cool to be healthy. Yeah, yeah, I do. I do all those things. It's very fun to be kind of multifaceted and that's kind of my theme over the last couple years or so. Comics are a really important, fun part of my life. So is modeling, so is, you know, exercise and running. And same thing with the outdoor painting. You know, sometimes Paintings that I do outside are not the best paintings on the planet, but it's really fun to just get out there and just kind of puzzle solve. And the funniest thing is uh, if the sun is setting, you know, the light changes. So I can't ever really keep up with the light when I paint outside. And it's really challenging, but really fun and probably looks a lot better than it is sometimes because there's, you know, bugs all over the place and the bugs feel like (laughs) getting in paint. And it's, uh, it's like managing chaos and making it as pretty as you possibly can in the end. So it's a very fun way to spend time. But yeah, I, I do a lot of the things. I do almost all the things almost, you know. You yeah, say. you really do. It's a huge challenge. I'm wondering if you have thoughts on if there's a through line between your interest in and your skill at creating visual art and also with modeling. And also you've worked in tech. You've done all of these multifaceted things, as you say, but they all seem to be connected. They're all things that come very naturally to you that you're drawn to. So I'm wondering if there's any parallels between them. I'd say maybe not being afraid of big challenges might be the biggest thread going through all of those. Painting's really hard. I think comics are really hard. I think being in the tech world is really hard. Solving software problems is really hard because there's 
no solution. You have to go out and figure it out on your own. So I think that if I'm not being challenged or if there's something that's just kind of easy to do, it gets a little bit routine. That's not to say that I won't do easy things. Sometimes I'll just fold paper cranes for a little bit and it's very, it's very repetitive and very, you know, boring, but it's probably because on that particular day, I just spent, you know, eight hours looking at a bug or something or some huge issue with <laughs> You know, something crazy. But uh, but yeah, I think that, you know, it's kind of fun in, in the creative world to build your own path and just do things that are new and creative. I, so I'd say that might be the main pattern between all those spheres, as it were, I think. Ah, that's interesting. When you say bug, you don't mean like an insect. You mean like a computer bug, right? Yeah. Like yeah, a glitch. I mean, yep, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, people have been using that term a lot more lately like i need to go squash some bugs sorry boys i gotta go gotta go on my supercomputer the mainframe and squash a few <laughs> bugs it's fun to poke fun at yourself in a way and we may end up doing that because one of the ways i wanted to introduce you into the show is we're in the middle of e3 we're in the middle of e3 week anyway and some more stuff may be happening and you are someone who theoretically could have been approached by square enix by nintendo so many companies to work on the tech side of what they do or on the representation side, the modeling side. Back when I used to go to E3, there were fitness models all the time repping games because they thought that those are the kinds of folks whom people would want to talk to about video games. And here you are, not at E3, but in theory, you could have been. And if you had to represent some games, I'm wondering how you would have approached it. So I thought that's something we could talk about today. One of the first games that was shown around when this all digital E3 kicked off recently was this game called Pal World, which is very deceptive. It's a game that I think may end up getting sued by Nintendo and the Pokemon company because they just straight up lifted some Pokemon designs. Like they took their ears and made them from circles to triangles or something. But other than that, it's just a straight up Pokemon design. But the difference is in this game, the Pokemon can get shot with guns, bullet guns, and you can start a sweatshop for Pokemon to have to make guns, Pal World. So I'm wondering, would you take the job if the Pal World people were like, will you rep our game at E3? And if so, how would you go about talking about it? If people came up to you and said, what is this game? How would you try to make it something you were proud to talk about and represent? Oh man, yeah. I, I don't know if I would take that for, for one thing. <laughs> I, I think that's something that I did see the trailer for it and it kind of got darker and darker as I watched the trailer. And, you know, at first it looks like very fun and they're floating around and just like building houses. But then, you know, the, there's the gun making clip and it's kind of like, oh God. And it's almost like, well, some of the um, creatures do appear to be rips. They appear to just be Velcro ripoffs of, you know, Pokemon. And, you know, like when Pokemon came out, think of all the other, you know, iterations of Pokemon that there were. There was like Digimon and there were all these other things. Uh, even, sure. even Yu-Gi-Oh cards might be considered a Pokemon derivative or something like Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Like, Monster Rancher was another one. I don't well, think yeah. that would have happened if it weren't for Pokemon. Forgot all about Monster Rancher, but but at this point, it's like, how long has Pokemon been out? I've just been looking at some of my Pokemon cards that I have from the 90s. And it's like, well, okay, we got those in 1995 through 1997. And that's a long time for Pokemon mm. to have been out. And then you kind of make a rip of it. And 
I think the ultimate message of the original Pokemon is a little bit more, you know, yes, it's animal fighting and that's kind of sad and they live in these tiny, tiny little spheres and that's kind of weird. And there's all these really weird parts of Pokemon, but I think at its root, it has a good heart. I think Pokemon, you know, at its core, has a good heart it has you know ultimately a good message yeah uh, pals i don't know it's kind of it's kind of scary like you see the little part where they're pushing a little water turbine or something <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah it's got a edgy we're going to take something you loved and was sweet and turn it into torture a little bit it's a little bit like a classless mean-spirited parody but with no humor that i saw yeah, yeah. I hope we move out of that just in general, a lot of pop culture. I think that things got really dark and really gritty for a while. And, and just like, you know, movies, games, you know, everything got really dark and gritty. And I'm, I'm kind of waiting until we get back to like 1960s Batman, where everything's just really <laughs> funny and like nobody actually gets hurt. And it's like, you know, the most violent thing that happens is maybe like somebody trips or something like that. And, <laughs> that yeah. is so weird. I went out on a limb for a magazine I write for called Nintendo Force, I was writing about this game called No More Heroes 3. And I think most of the people who read the magazine are in their 20s. So the 60s to them was like two lifetimes ago. But I went ahead and referenced 1960s Batman because in No More Heroes 3, you go up and down a fire pole to get to like your bat cave and then you go up the fire pole, just like the 60s. It was so cute in in the old Batman. And you know what I'm talking about. So if you read that magazine, that reference will land with at least one person. But speaking of dark and gritty, Stranger of Paradise? Final yeah. Fantasy Origins? Yes. That is quite gritty. That is another take on a classic RPG franchise and making it mean, making it frowny. The producer of the game, who's been working on the Final Fantasy series forever and has made a lot of sweet, emotionally poignant Kingdom Hearts games and Final Fantasy games said, I want this game to be the story of an angry man. Like he's going out on a limb and wants it to be like Fast and the Furious or a frowny Vin diesel experience. Who knows why? I guess he's branching out and he's challenging himself like how you challenge yourself with your artwork. Maybe for him, this is like painting outdoors. He just wants to see if he can pull it off. But it's hit with a really mixed response so far i'm wondering what you thought of the trailer and if you were asked to represent this game at e3 how you would go about it oh man yeah for this one well i'd probably say yes i would represent it because it's final fantasy and it's nomura too i mean that's kind of like you gotta say yes at that point the trailer itself and the gameplay yeah i mean it looked really violent he's kind of like infusing creatures with jewels and they explode in these gemstones and kind of funny i was like i never thought of a gemstone as something that would hurt somebody and it's funny because that's my actual name. Becky Jewel is my name. And I was like, oh my God, these gemstones are hurting everybody in this game. And it's so scary. And I never thought of it that way because usually the gemstone is the cool part of Final Fantasy, like Final Fantasy IX crystals or other little ability stones or something like that. They're benevolent. And in this game, yeah, he's mad. He's he's, he's mad. mad at chaos, right? From what I gathered, it's sort of retelling of the first Final Fantasy game except there was only three warriors instead of four. I don't know if I missed something. And they're so mad at chaos, but they're acting really chaotic and weird in their hatred of chaos. I mean, to me, it is very random and chaotic to make things explode with gems. It's, It's another gritty 
not as gritty as Pal World, but it feels a little bit like both of them were seeing how in the West anyway, things have been getting more lighthearted, more wholesome, more colorful, less gritty, less mean. And they're just doing an about face on that. So would you say the things you just said? Yeah, I mean, it looks really pretty. It looks really well done, very goth, very, you know, <laughs> blood red, dark, darkness kind of stuff that I don't know if we've really seen since games like Crisis Core, you know. And, oh, yeah. And even those games really good hearted too. I thought Zach was a really good hearted character, maybe even the best character in that whole arc of games. Yeah. In a way, we always had a really good attitude, but there are some moments in those games that were just, you know, so very emo, so very goth. <laughs> The Kingdom Hearts 2 game, I could never really finish because I couldn't keep track of all the guys in black clothes. I was like, there's too many anime boys. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> yeah. Is it the 528 over 246 days? There was one of the DS spinoffs where just everyone wears black cloaks and has slightly different hair. And I could not keep it straight, but I adored the passion that he put into that. And it sounds like that's what you would focus on. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Like, I would love to be a person who's just obsessed with all those games. I would love to just be a person who runs an entire wiki board about all those games. I would love to be that obsessed with them, but I just, I got overwhelmed. (laughs) (laughs) That makes sense. That's one of the best feelings of gaming, I think, is just getting super into the lore and super into the world. And for some reason, that one, I just couldn't escape orbit with. I just Yeah, yeah. It is easy to bounce off of those as well. There's an impenetrableness for a lot of people when it comes to the Kingdom Hearts series. Sounds like with Final Fantasy, though, you've been able to absorb those pretty strongly. Yeah, Yeah, I I love those games. Yeah, uh, six, seven, eight, nine. Those were kind of my big games when I was growing up. I think I finally liked home when 10 came out for college and I was super busy with school. So I sort of understood Final Fantasy 10, but you know, all through high school, middle school, those games, six, seven, eight, nine, those were my big Final Fantasy games. They were awesome. Yeah, I agree. And that was the last one. Nine was the last one with Sakaguchi, the creator of the series. So for me, that's sort of the first chapter of Final Fantasy under the original vision. And everything after that is something different, but I I do like them all. So speaking of original vision, classic series, the last game I wanted to talk to you about today was Metroid Dread, which is also called Metroid 5. People are puzzled by that because there have been so many Metroid games. There have been more than four, but there are actually only four numbered Metroid games in the main series. Metroid 5 being the next one that is said to close out the core Metroid story. And the last numbered Metroid game in this storyline was Metroid Fusion, which came out, I think, 19 years ago. So this was a really monumental moment for people like me who've been playing the Metroid games since they first came out and have bought each one as it's been released, wanting to know what actually ends up happening to Samus. She gets fused with a Metroid and you're wondering, is she even human? Well, she was never totally human, but that's a whole other story. You are not sure who she is anymore and what's gonna happen to her at the end of her last game. And then she just leaves. And like gives you a thumbs up. It's like, I'll be fine, you know? And you're like, I don't, okay. And now we get to see what actually happens to her. And it looks like she's in deep trouble. Some robots are trying to murder her for some reason. So would you take this job? And if so, what would you say about it, you think? Oh yeah, heck yeah. This is an easy job to take. It looks so fantastic. I thought that game just 
looked really good. And I've played some of the Metroid games, not a ton. I've, I've probably played more Castlevania games than the original Metroid, you know, scrollers and, and platformers. And it's very much like, you know, you cast the whip or you cast the little chain that she has. That oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They both grapple. That's true. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think this one's an easy, I would definitely represent this game. And I mean, I think that they could do some really cool like mech stuff if they wanted to like the suit in the in the trailer just looks incredible but there's so many things you could do with that with you know like a couple models or just you know a couple people it'd be really hard to get into it looks like but it looks really cool to me are you saying you'd want to wear yeah. samus's new suit and like pose with it you would be an awesome samus i would give that thumbs up my only real complaints about where the Metroid series has gone over the past, since 1994, actually, so geez, 25 years, man, is Samus used to be kind of a fitness model. She was like 6'3 and 180 pounds, pretty buff lady. And then they sort of shrank her. And I've actually argued with strangers on Twitter about this who love Samus and they don't want to see anyone besmirch her but I've had to actually get screen grabs to show that she's shorter than she used to be by like a foot and is not as muscular. They, for whatever reason, wanted her to be less of a physical presence and more about when she's out of the suit, she's vulnerable, but when she's in the suit, she's like strong or whatever. So I, I get that symbolism that they may be going for, but I miss the, the fitness model Samus. So if they were to dye your hair green, <laughs> she had classically green hair and was in a purple leotard, which was very 80s. And then you got in the armor. That would be such a fun sight to see. Who knows? Maybe it'll happen next year because uh, another Metroid game is probably going to come out in the next year or two, Metroid Prime 4. So you you may have your chance. Heck yeah. Yeah, that'd be cool. Katy Perry did the green hair really well. And so did uh, Billie Eilish. They both did really, really good green hair. It's a thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I've forgotten that. I wonder. I wonder if they were all doing it for Metroid. Probably. Oh yeah, Nicki Minaj had it too. I think she had that bright green. I have like a strip of green in the back of rainbow hair, but I can't do the full green at this time. But I would do it for Samus. <laughs> I would do it for Samus. <laughs> I love the disclaimer that, you know, for now, but wait and see. You never know, it might happen. And before we close up, I want to say that even your pal world criticisms, if you were forced Maybe a gunpoint, because these people love guns, apparently. So I wouldn't be surprised if they pulled one on you and said, you have to represent our game. And I approached the booth and you were like, I think it's awful. I think it's bad. I'd be like, I like this person. I, I want to write about this game now. Even your dislike of that game was great representation of it. So I think you are destined to do this work if you feel like doing it. Repping right. games at E3, who knows? Maybe it'll happen. Well, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, I love the games we're talking about. It's a really exciting time. And, you know, even if some folks might be a little bit disappointed with E3, I think there's at least one game for everybody that's really exciting. So I enjoyed watching the summaries and, you know, what Nintendo has coming out and more Final Fantasy, I think, is always good. So it's it's exciting. Your genuine, calm, yet sincere and intense positivity is just fills me up with light. It is such a, such a nice feeling to have. Thanks, Becky. It's great oh, yeah. talking to you. Thank you. Everybody's talking about a new sensation. Becky Jewel is coming out and sweeping the nation. You know, Jonathan, I think Becky Jewel would be great 
at E3. Yep. Repping some companies. Mm-hmm. Showing off them games. Mm-hmm. Giving out her knowledge. Uh-huh. Could I be- think she would be amazing in some of that, in some of those outfits. Hell yeah. Yeah. That's the other thing. She enjoys every aspect of it. The the talking and the physical presentation. Wanting to be in the Samus outfit. And I realized in listening to that clip again with Becky that I've barely talked about the games of E3 at Themselves. all on this episode. Yeah, I know. I don't know if I should. Do you want to hear about them? Oh my God. Do I ever? <laughs> Do I ever? It was a really weird, really weird E3. Microsoft is basically just trying to buy people's affection, I think. Oftentimes at E3, you got to play exclusive demos. Oh, I I believe... Did you hear about this on Google? Yeah, I think I did. Did (laughs) Nintendo totally dominate and Xbox was like way low? Sony was way low. You told me all the Sony news I got this year. They didn't make a splash at all. Okay. And the the stuff about Tetris Effect you were telling me, that's the first I'd heard about anything. Microsoft did well, but they were, their big thing was, we're just going to release a ton of demos. Like they released a demo or were part of a demo release event where this game called Death Trash that I've been following forever, that has a dedicated vomit button. Oh. Looking at death trash, you're just around like a disgusting dump of tentacles and eyeballs and it's just a mess. And you have to vomit on this techno-organic machinery yeah. in order to lubricate it and get it working. Whoa. Death trash. But I feel like, all right, Emesis is full of like caustic substances, bile. That's not going <laughs> to lubricate. That's only going to corrode and rust. But this is stuff... Made out of a whole new kind of stuff. Oh, okay. It's okay. like some science fiction Borgy nonsense. Ooh. Like, oh, I guess some vomit will help the Borg. How can you prove that wrong? You've never met a Borg, so they got you. Okay. That's just one of the tons and tons of demos that Microsoft made available, uh, upping the value of their Game Pass product. So they were really, really trying to kiss ass on a whole new level, and it, it pretty much worked. I had people, hmm. Xbox fans... DMing me, finding me, and saying, like, so, who won E3 this year, buddy? It was Microsoft, huh? Like, check out all those demos. The Game Pass is blowing up. And they're like, we know you don't love Microsoft. They did. They were trying yeah, to rub it in my to nose. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Rub it in my face. Rub rub it. Rub my face, face in it. Yeah, rub my nose in it. And my right. face in it. Yeah, I didn't quite do that, but you get the idea. Whereas for me, it was one of the best showings for Nintendo in forever. And there's a bunch of other cool stuff that happened. New Blood Interactive, who's this uh, really fun company, somehow packed uh, hints about five games and like a five-minute trailer. Like, they, they really nailed it. Devolver did an amazing job. They did something kind of controversial, though. They announced that they were going to release a game only on a physical cartridge. Oh, wow. Only for a short amount of time. Whoa. And it's a game by some guys I know, the Doinksoft guys. They made this game called Gato Robato. Oh, fun. Which is right up your alley. You play a little cat, and it's a real cat. It's not like a talking cat. It's just a cat. Okay. But it gets an armor and has to, like, go around and save its owner. Was this recent? Gato Robato two years ago, I think. I feel like I know about this game. You might have. I've I've rambled about it before. It's black and white, and it it, it did pretty well. And now they're making a new game called Demon Throttle, I believe. (laughs) And we're selling t-shirts for it immediately. But people didn't like the fact that they were only selling this game on cartridges, and it was not cheap. It's the kind of game that people expect to pay $15, $20 for. I think the cartridges were closer to $30. Mm -hmm. And then after a certain amount of time, I think three months, the cartridges are just going to disappear. Hmm. So people were like, you're trying to scare me into buying this cartridge. 
they're artificial trying to pull scarcity. on their yeah, but they're trying to pull back on like nostalgia. nostalgia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I got what they were going for, and I was all for it. But people were really angry about it. And then, like three days later, they said, "We're sorry. We're going to release the game digitally after the fact on itch." What's Everyone itch? loves them. What's itch? Itch is where that uh, bundle, bundle for yeah for Palestinian aid. It's a great storefront for games where the creators really have a lot of control, and they oh, also cool. get a larger percentage. So it's just like a platform. Yeah, yeah for yeah. selling. Yeah, yeah. It's a website you can go to. It's reputable. So if you download from them, you're not going to get like a bunch of viruses and stuff. So nice. It's better than pirating. More punk rock, I guess you could say. Yeah. Speaking of that, No More Heroes Three, amazing mm. trailer. The cat Gene. Has like a low voice now. Oh, wow. No More Heroes, if you don't know. It's one of my favorite franchises. It's about a, a guy who's now a dad, but 10 years ago he was just a nerd trying to figure out his life. And now he's grown up and he's got a talking cat and he's trying to save the world from aliens. He's got lightsabers. He, he yeah. talks to a tree now. I got to see this game because I've read so much about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, coming August. So one of the last big pushes for that came out and that was aligned with the Nintendo event, which was just so perfectly designed for me because it was almost all throwbacks to games that were like 20, 20 years ago. Oh, So man. for me, that was like remembering when I was 18 or 19, didn't have any money, but didn't have a care in the world. So Monkey Ball is a callback to that. Advance Wars is a callback to that. Metroid Dread, which we talked to Becky about, a callback to that. That's the sequel to Metroid Fusion, a game that came out 19 years ago. Yeah. WarioWare, which really blew up for the first time around 20 years ago. That's coming back with multiplayer in, a, in an all-new way. So for me, Nintendo really knocked it out of the park. But for people who were 20, mm -hmm. it was all throwbacks to games that came out when they were literally born. So for them, wow. it kind of fell upon deaf ears. Though, some Nintendo fans have told me that because they love Nintendo like their favorite band and they've dug into their favorite band's history, for them, it was really awesome. So if you really love Nintendo as a company, as a brand, as a part of video game history, then I guess there's a pretty good E3 for you. Yeah. yeah. Pretty neat. Another big part of video game history is Final Fantasy. Yep. And a historic figure in the world of Final Fantasy, the redneck Tonberry, <laughs> is here to talk to us a little bit about Final Fantasy showing at E3 this year. What's your grudge? I wanna hear about it. Tell me about that grudge. Tonberry, so excited, so happy to have you back. And I'm very, very excited to hear what your grudge is gonna be this time. Why the hell aren't the Final Fantasy pixel remasters on the Switch? <laughs> you're speaking for generations. You're speaking for millions of people right now. That is such I a bet. good question. That, that for mm, please look. I'm looking at I'm looking at an iPhone right now. I'm looking at it, and I don't want to play Final Fantasy four on this thing, or three, or six. No, certainly not. It would ruin the ones you love and it would not enhance the ones you don't to the point where you'd be willing to do it. They also redid the sprites, but sort of not. Like they made oh. them less bad than the mushy, sort of smoothed out, fake looking flat remakes they did already, I think, for phones. I think Final Fantasy VI is already on phones with flat. They all are. They all are. So and they're coming to phones again? What is what's yep, going on? Yep. They're coming to phones and to Steam again as Pixel remasters. But for some god-awful reason, they're not coming to the Switch. 
I don't want to play a game on a touch screen. No, you don't. I want to. I want to push a button. Yeah, Fantasian. You were talking about Fantasian. Yeah, I mean, cool. I'm sure that game's great, but I'm. I don't know. Maybe I'll have to get me one of them iPads. Mm, or maybe they just need to bring it down to the Switch. I wonder if they're doing it because they're a little bit mad that Sakaguchi brought out Fantasian on phones. So they're like, "We'll show you. We'll put your own games on phones and beat you." at your own game with your own games. Oof. That would be vindictive enough that it would almost impress me. <laughs> yeah, I, thought were, I, thought, I thought you might say that, which, which begs the question, what even is Final Fantasy? Is it weird remasters that probably shouldn't exist of 20, 30 year old games? Or is it sort of a angry gruff fun, tough guy made by Team Ninja who worked on the Dissidia games, this new Stranger of Paradise? Is that, that what it's called? That's what it's called. Stranger of Paradise Final Fantasy Origin. And honestly, it's a dead nerve at this point. This is a series that's had weird titles for entirely too long, lest we forget Dissidia Duodecim Prologus Final Fantasy. I, and I don't I, know where the number 12 fits in there, but it, it, it's somewhere. Can you say that again? Is that real? What did you just say? It, it is real. Decidia Duodecim Prologus Final Fantasy. <laughs> is that the, did Team Ninja work on that one? Was that the one that was in arcades and also? No, no, that's Decidia NT. The City of Duodecim was the second one on the PSP. And oh. The demo that was a story unto itself called Prologus. <laughs> and if you finish it, you can take it into the main game and, and Aerith becomes an assist character. They, nothing simple. Nothing simple in Final Fantasy, but I kind of like it. I kind of... Well, what sure. I don't like, though, is mm. people, people insisting that they know what Final Fantasy is. And it's always... It's always just, you know, whichever Final Fantasy game I played first... That's what Final Fantasy is supposed to be. It's mm. supposed to be just like Final Fantasy IV or mm. Final Fantasy VI or Seven or Ten, whichever mm. one it is that you played first. Mm -hmm. And these days it is often the ones that are at least 10 years old, I think are the ones that people often claim are the real Final Fantasy games. It's, just, it's, it's a series that has been in a constant state of flux since the beginning. Mm. Mm -hmm. I mean, the first one was a pretty standard fantasy adventure. It had some weird parts with time travel on the airships that showed up. And then the second one introduced theology to it. Whoa. And then the third one, it, it, I think the third one leaned a little bit harder on the airships, but I haven't played it in a hot minute. So mm -hmm. my memory escapes me. But then in four, they ripped off Star Wars and the last bit of it's on the fucking moon. <laughs> And That's then true. six is like this industrial science fantasy weirdness. Yeah, like a post-apocalyptic, but because of mythological creatures, fantasy and real, real doom. Like people talk about how modern games, The Last of Us, whatnot. Oh, it's so bleak. Oh, you have to deal with your mortality and blah, blah, blah. Final Fantasy six. They blow up the whole world and then you have to keep playing in it after you lose for so yeah. long. It is. And then even, even when you win, 
spoilers for a game that came out in 1990 goddamn four. You know, the world is still destroyed. It's just, all right, I guess we're going to try and rebuild this doomed ass world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They don't win so much as they stop losing. That's as good as it gets in Final yeah, But I like the, I like the, the hopeful note that it ends on that even if you live in a world that has been broken apart mm. by some clown who is irritated that his mom took his vape pen away or something. I don't know. He lives in a society, I guess. I don't know about the vape pen part, but for the most part, Kefka is just a clown who comes into power through manipulation and evil is willing to do the bad things he needs to do in order to eventually absorb the, the the prior ruler and makes everything bad just for the heck of it. He, yeah, he's a dick. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what Final Fantasy was back then. And it was constantly evolving. Mystic Quest was nestled in there somewhere. And then we got Final Fantasy VII, which of course blew the lid off and changed RPGs forever. And then Final Fantasy Tactics. Go back to 2D. It was back to a sort of medieval fantasy story. Yep. Right away with the next game, right after that with Final Fantasy VIII, they just went pure science fiction. Mm -hmm. And there's something about space. (laughs) I know that there's a part of that game that is explicitly in space. Yeah. And then, you know, they sort of went back to that sort of, I mean, maybe that's what people think Final Fantasy is. It's that sort of, not quite steampunk, but brushing up against it, like you see in games like Final Fantasy VI and V and III and IX, because that's what a lot of people said Final Fantasy IX was a return to form after eight went off the friggin' rails. Yeah, but then it also did a lot of its own pretty darn weird stuff. Very, very bleak. A lot of characters who just get told, oh, my life is going to end what do I do now? And you just need to keep going after, and there's no fix for it. They're just doing- Your existence is finite. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And then 10 comes along, everyone's realistic again. It's like a bright and cheerful, but also fatalistic soap opera. Maybe that's what people think it is, but the art styles are constantly changing. The genres constantly changing. And the only thing consistent, I think, is the name and the fact that it's going to have some kind of story. I don't know if there's a Final Fantasy game with no story. Final Fantasy Explorers, but- (laughs) You got me. (laughs) Visual elements recur Mm -hmm. and themes recur. Mm -hmm. There is a consistent theme of conflict that runs throughout the series, which is why when they made the fighting game, they called it Dissidia which is the Latin word for conflict. Huh, I had no idea. I thought it was just, and this may sound bad, but I'm gonna put it out there. My take has always been that how a lot of people who speak English think that Asian letters just like look cool. You know, kids will go get a tattoo in Japanese and they don't know exactly what it means, but they just think it looks cool. I always got the sense that in Japan, sometimes they think English words just sound cool. So they'll just throw together a bunch of Stranger of Paradise, Metal Gear Rising, Revengeance, Substance, you know, just, it sounds fun, but they don't care if it means anything 
that's going to be clearly understandable necessarily because it's not their native language. They're just having fun with sounds. That's, that was always my take, man. I mean, what's wrong with having fun with sounds, I guess? That's true. And it sells. It's not like those games do poorly in the United States, even though the names don't make immediate sense. The thing that irritates the hell out of me is people looking at the very surface level and not understanding the themes that run throughout Final Fantasy as a concept. Mm. It's very arch. It's very meta. Mm. And like to the point where, I mean, if I had the same mentality as a lot of Final Fantasy fans, I would have seen what the Tonberries in Final Fantasy XI looked like, and I would have condemned it on the spot. <laughs> because, oh, bless their hearts. I'm trying to remember how they look in Final Fantasy XI. That was the RPG, the MMO. Yeah, and they, they gave them teeth. <laughs> <laughs> Are they, do they look like Frampt? Frampt? No, no, it's more like, you know that mask that Yoko Taro likes to wear? Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. More like that. It's unfortunate. (laughs) Sure. I mean, they're nice. They're nice people, but god damn. (laughs) They're hard to look at. Sure. You try not to judge a book by its cover. You're trying to go for the underlying themes, but I guess it's got to be frustrating for you. You live in the world of Final Fantasy. You want people to understand the world you're in, but they look at surface level things. Or they look, even maybe worse, they look at themselves only and say, does this look and feel the way I want it to, to meet my definition of Final Fantasy? And doing so, block out the opportunity to see what Final Fantasy actually is today. What it can be. Mm -hmm. It's in a state of aesthetic flux because Mm. the thematic elements that remain the same. I mean, and there are aesthetic things that stay the same as well. Sure. I mean, they're, every single one of them's got chocobos in it, or almost all of them do. Yeah, they started in uh, uh. <laughs> Final Fantasy, Final Fantasy three, I think. Two, uh, two. My mistake. Two. It was uh, the chocobos in Final Fantasy two are real big too. Huh. Like because they fit all the people, all the characters on their back. Wow. They could just sit on it. I wish I could have met one of them chocobos. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah I wouldn't want to ride the damn thing. I just want to take a nap. <laughs> That's nice. I'm excited to see what happens in Stranger of Paradise, this interesting reimagining of the Final Fantasy I mythos. Mm, that's right with team ninja who worked on the Dissidia games who also worked on dead or alive i don't think they worked on devil's third but itagaki who formed team ninja they worked on that there that there what's it called neo neo n i o h neo yeah yeah i've heard good things about that and sure i ain't played it because i only have time for like one or two of them real like difficult action dark souls kind of games oh sure sure Mm -hmm. i only got time for one of them at a time and i'm trying to set time aside for when stranger of paradise comes out because i'll play it hell yeah i'll play it an elden ring you're you're, oh yeah about elden ring how about that you got to get that too that looks like a if that had been called final fantasy elden ring i think people would have freaked out maybe yeah but freaked out also with rage that it was wrong based on their idea of what Final Fantasy should be. It is 
got to be tough. I'm just trying to empathize here. It's got to be tough to, number one, be misunderstood for being a Tonberry, and number two, having your whole in-game universe be so misunderstood. It's true. It is true. I can only imagine how the Tonberries from Final Fantasy 15 would feel if they heard some of the things that people in this world say about that game. Really? This is the one with the hunks, right? Where they're like all in a car? Yeah, yeah. I think James Stephanie Sterling called it the beautiful boy adventure. <laughs> that's, how it, that's how it seemed. I never got around to playing it. I was actually going to play the weird, super deformed version on Switch. But I haven't got around Oh, yeah, I heard about that. Yeah, it looks, it looks all right. But yet again, another example of, you thought Final Fantasy was this? We'll just make it this. And it's the same, but it's different. And you just got to want to learn more about what they came up with for you this time instead of going in with expectations because expectations almost always lead to disappointment. It just comes back to people thinking that the media they consume belongs to them. Mm. I mean, obviously, I mean, I have a copy of Final Fantasy VIII right there on the shelf and that belongs to me. <laughs> that physical copy of that. Yes, thing is, yeah. but, but Final Fantasy VIII itself is not mine mm. and it's not my place to tell the people over at Square Enix where my cousin works what to do with this just because I want it to be a certain way. Mm -hmm. They've been on a roll lately with Final yeah. Fantasy 14 just getting better by the day. Mm -hmm. you know, Final Fantasy 15, I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, it seemed adored. Final Fantasy 16 is looking good. Why is his name Clive though? <laughs> his name's Clive. Like to me, Clive sounds like a guy who would like hang out at the French Quarter with like some beatnik sunglasses, playing an old guitar and singing about, "Oh, I'm Clive, and I'm alive." Whoa! <laughs> like, like, yeah, and he'd probably end most of his sentences that way. Whoa! That could be the next Final Fantasy game. Who knows? Well, I'm I'm so glad you started off with a grudge, but ended with words of wisdom. I hope people can walk away from hearing you speak about expectations and ownership of these fictions. And this is true of every game, of everything that happened at E3, which just wrapped up. People go to these events or people watch these events online and they think, well, this event is for me. It better impress me. And because of that sense of ownership over the event, they end up missing out on a lot because it puts blinders on you when you have that attitude. Much better to open your eyes and see what's going on instead. Open your eyes and your mind. And if you're one of those Tonberries in Final Fantasy XI, open your mouth too. Because they need some, some brushing on them teeth. The teeth aren't supposed to be green. She told us about her grudge. Now let's get back to the show. Thanks, Tonberry. So wonderful to talk to Tonberry. And Tonberry, we're actually helping to promote a little fundraiser for her. She's in need. She's fallen upon some tough times. Lost her job? Yes. So you can find her paypal.me slash Titus World Slide. <laughs> That's from Final Fantasy Tight, X. Tightest World Slide. Tightest World Slide. Mm. Titus is from Final Fantasy X, her first and favorite Final Fantasy adventure, as far as I know. Mm. And her Venmo is ELSA underscore not that one. 
So Elsa, not that one. I think it's a reference to oh the Frozen film series. Yeah. She's not that Elsa. She's a different Elsa. And please help her out. We're going to help her out. I'm going to throw some money in her jar in a second. Our old buddy Gretchen, a frequent listener to the show and a frequent guest on the show as well. She also has a GoFundMe for a new Talmud, which I don't know enough about that. I'm going to ask Gretchen what that is, but you can find that at her wife's Twitter account, at K-N-I-T-S-Y-O, and see if you can throw some help to Gretchen as well. I'm going to do that for both of my dear friends. We don't put ads on this show. Yeah, we don't have a Patreon. No, we're not looking for for money for ourselves. People are sending us shit to talk about here and there, but it's not like they're paying us. You mean like the brain fuel? The brain fuel, the (laughs) fucking gloves. Speaking of which, if anybody wants us to hawk their product or or give an honest review, really, send it our way. Yeah, sure. We we haven't done that in a while. No, I haven't sought that out lately. But we did get a little mail. We did. Let me me dig that up. We got some mail from a, a listener who goes by... Sucks Deluxe. Sucks Deluxe. On Twitter. Just such a, a evocative name. And I'm going to pull up their letter right now. All right. It's time to see what's in the mailbag. So here we go. A little message from listener Ivy, who is Sucks Deluxe. Sucks on Deluxe. That's she such says, a good name. <laughs> she says, Hi. Hope you're doing well today, smiley face. My name is Ivy and I, like most who reach out to you, probably love your work and podcasts. Oh, So nice. I've been following you since I was about 11 years old, back when you were doing Podtoid and right after you left the Destructoid show. You are probably one of the more influential people in the video game industry, which she puts in quotes. <laughs> the video game industry. Is it an industry? industry? I'm not sure. It's something, but yes. She says... I've admired your wholesomeness and overall excitement about Nintendo and indie games, the sheer queerness of the Dismal Jesters and Boston's favorite sons, and your dedication to talking about shit you're passionate about. Yes. I am now 23. Oh. Which is... Super old. Very young in my book. (laughs) But yeah, about half my age, but probably feeling different than she did 11 years ago when she first started listening and seeing stuff I did. She says... I'm now 23 and I've been having difficulty finding the direction I want to take in life. I am non-binary, a Salvadorian-American living in the Bay Area. Wow. I was pursuing my degree in psychology at the University of California, Santa Cruz, but dropped out a few years ago. I don't blame you. They, they make you want to decide and put so much money in so young. I know. I know. But she is on the path, I think, to finding out what she wants to do. I'll continue on with her letter. I feel like it should be easier to find a community, queer brown gamers specifically, with Twitter and the sheer amount of internet resources. Yet, I find myself quite lonely. I have great friends who I love with all my heart, but it's so comforting to share passion and common interests in video games. I've been playing and reading and thinking about them for most of my life, maybe since I was five. I've been through the toxicity of Xbox 360 party chats and turned oh, to indie games. <laughs> so toxic. It was super... I, I, I couldn't I, believe it. I, I believe it. When I first got on Xbox 360 party chat, I thought the future 
of video games was going to be kindness. It was going to be virtual hugs. No. No, it was, you fucking asshole. I'm going to I'm gonna tear you limb from limb. Whoa. <laughs> Strange little kids yelling at me, wanting to kill me. So, yes, Ivy's been through that. I'll continue on with the letter. We're in the home stretch. Nobody around me was into indie games and uh, were instead drawn to COD, Call of Duty, mm. and Halo. Oh, there's a new Halo coming out called Halo Infinite. Sorry. Okay. I'll get back to that yeah, maybe yeah. some other day. And all that. So I kind of accepted that I was going to be solo for my life. But now I feel pretty lonely despite knowing about the communities that exist today. Oh. So I'm reaching out to finally thank you for the impact you, James Stephanie, Sterling, Conrad, and Tanya. More recently, she's great. She says about you. I've had on the way I talk about games. It's always felt comforting to know people like y'all exist in the general community, and y'all for sure have kept me company through dozens of the lonelier parts of my life. I'm also reaching out to bring up the topic of loneliness and isolation for queer people of color gamers. Is this a thing you've heard people talk about before? I don't know. Anyway. Thanks for maybe reading this. I hope you have a wonderful Thursday. Oh my goodness. With love, Ivy. I would love for anybody to come on and talk about that. Yeah, yeah. There are some events that are bubbling up for people of color in games. Mm -hmm. There's more and more game companies that are focusing on making sure that you hire queer people of color. Soft Not Weak, who I think we've talked about before, they've got a game coming out called Spirit Swap. That's basically about being a queer Arab and you're solving puzzles. Wow. It's pretty amazing. So those things, those places, those opportunities are out there. But the thing I find about loneliness, this is speaking from my own experience, is it feels pretty bad. And when you feel bad, the last thing you want to do is take a chance on trying to introduce yourself to somebody new. It can really be a self-perpetuating cycle. So to try to inch your way up out of it is usually the best way. Decide to just take one new step today to try to connect with somebody new like how Ivy did. She yeah, took a total was... risk on sending me that DM. For all she knew, I was gonna write back and say, don't, how dare you, leave me alone. You know, she didn't know. But mm. instead, I wanted to read the letter aloud and let her know that she was really seen and heard and we did our best to represent her on the show through reading her words aloud, but she's also welcome. To just come on the show. And I, I think I want to add on to that a little bit. Please. I think that something that makes you feel less alone is by authentically showing up. Oh, Even yeah. if it's just a little bit like Ivy did. She showed up and said, I'm lonely. I wonder if anybody else is. Yeah, a lot <laughs> and, of people and are. Talk, and talk about it. And I think that when people feel you know empowered to say, this is how I feel that people connect with you more, that you might feel less alone. Absolutely. There's two guys in Canada. They made a video on TikTok saying like, let's hang out. We're gonna we're at the beach. We're two guys. We're gonna buy some slush puppies and some some candy and watch Twister, the old 90s disaster movie. Everyone's making fun of them, saying, what a bunch of losers. This is so depressing. But it's like one of the most wholesome good things I've seen in a long time. Yeah. People just saying, I want to And I bet a lot of people you. loved it too. Yeah, I bet they did. I yeah. bet they're going to have a million friends by the end of the week. I hope so. So I hope Ivy does too. And I hope we all do. I hope we just all <laughs> make friends. I'm going to wrap up 
this episode, I suppose. Yeah, you've got some shit going on for you. <laughs> That's for damn sure. Not, no shit's going on for me. Still holding still. Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah. The shit I have going on <laughs> is the next Nintendo Force. It's going to have a lot of my E3 stuff. I wrote about Breath of the Wild 2. I wrote about the Game & Watch. There's a new Game & Watch oh, coming out. Oh, so exciting. Legend of Zelda 1. I wrote about Fatal Frame 5. I wrote about No More Heroes 3. I did a little comic strip in there. So I mean, even if they don't get this last one, people can just keep an eye out oh, for what's coming up. I'm already excited for the next one. It's probably going to be Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So I've been practicing drawing the turtles in order to make the very best Turtles comic. I can for the Raiders. You're so excited. <laughs> I'm so excited. Also, this other show that I was doing for a long time called Sup Holmes, I sort of brought it back on a whim. I was feeling yeah. guilty. Yeah, I have this awesome video interview with uh, Tali Faulkner, who created this game, Umurangi Generation. It was one of my favorite games of the year, and it's now out on Switch. Highly recommend it. One of the smartest games, and it's very fun as well, about photography and learning about the world around you. Yeah. I had this video interview with the creator of the game just sitting on my hard drive. I felt guilty about it, so I slapped the old Sup Holmes intro on it and just threw it on my YouTube channel. It's like 90 minutes of video game developer interview. But wow. People seem happy to see it back. And we also did end up talking to Edmund McMillan. Ugh, when you say we, you it, mean... It was me. Edmund, his wife Danielle... His little dog, his little daughter. I almost said his little dog. His little daughter. <laughs> and his little daughter too. <laughs> Minnie is 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 a uh, ten month old daughter. Oh, was that there. is so cute. Yeah, we Minnie had a, is her name. Yeah. yeah oh, yeah. I can't. A Edmund. great conversation. I know. I know. Very very cute. She was pooping on video. We didn't see the poop like come out of her butt. She this was bouncing a... up and down, being like, "Change me." She can't talk yet. It was very very sweet. And I think that's it for me. Yeah, I'm just gonna go back to these calluses. <laughs> just trying to. Trying to maintain. Trying to get them bigger or get them smaller. 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 Oh, right, right, right. Because they're cool. They're they're protective tissue. I know, but if you don't if you don't shave them down yep. occasionally, they'll rip off, which has happened to oh, me in class. I hadn't thought about and that. And then I had to continue the class. class. Yeah, pole yeah. dancing. That's tough. Like, so yeah, I have a tool. Yeah, let's hear that. Let's hear a little shavings. You. It's like a saw. <laughs> it's like truly like a saw. I don't know. I'm doing good at pole. I got my leg hang. That's great. And maybe you'll be showing off your pole. Who knows? Who knows? I I'm, hope so. I'm still too. I'm still too amateur. I would disagree with that. I've seen you go totally upside down and just spin around for minutes upon minutes. So I've been very impressed. Something like that. <laughs> maybe 45 seconds. Oh, it felt like minutes, and it's probably felt like minutes listening to us wrap this up, but we're no going to wrap shit. it up. Yeah. Yep, it's time to go. We're going to go. Thanks so much, everyone. Bye.